Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, starting out this week with me rating the trades for you. This from Advertising Age. Vizzy. You've heard of Vizzy. They spent a lot of money to make you hear about Vizzy. It's out with a new marketing gimmick aimed at turning heads, including noses, in the highly competitive hard seltzer market. Swimwear that smells. The Molson's Coors brand is launching a limited edition line of branded one-pieces and trunks that carry the scents of the seltzer's fruity flavors. Strawberry, kiwi, pineapple, mango, and raspberry lemonade. The move comes as hard seltzer brands continue to proliferate, forcing brands to find new ways to stand out. Says Elizabeth Hitch, marketing director of hard seltzer at the brewery. Because the brand launched during the pandemic, the brewer this summer is really making a big push. Quote, we really wanted to take advantage of this summer as people are getting out and doing things and socializing with friends to get more people to try our product. Fun things like this really get busy on the radar. <laughs> Molson Coors worked closely with a vendor to design the swimsuits, says Hitch. They've developed a scent that can be added to the suits and can retain its scent. And not only retain its scent, but the integrity of the scent. So it does smell like our fruit flavors, and it will stick when you swim with it, she says. This comes... Just about a week after Panera, the bread company, well, more than bread apparently, debuted its own branded pool apparel line aimed at plugging its soups. Ad Age does not report whether the Panera swimsuits smell of soup. But the integrity of the scent, ladies and gentlemen, is what's important here at Hello, Welcome to the Show.
It is still Sunday, unless it's not. And from the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. Here's some um, here's some happy whistling through somewhere. The Deputy Secretary General of NATO, Mercia Gioana, has defended the withdrawal of international troops from Afghanistan. He recognizes that the decision comes with important security and political risks. He was on a German TV talk show, Conflict Zone. He said the military alliance is not, quote, running away, unquote, from Afghanistan as troops leave the country after 20 years. No! Why, we're... Uh, he stressed NATO wants to continue to help Afghanistan, especially as the alliance is fully aware there are security and political challenges ahead. Quote, we know that putting an end to our mission is also entailing risks. We are lucid about these things, he said. The Romanian national, who's been NATO's deputy secretary general for almost two years. But, quote, he says, the decision to put an end to the certain point of a long protracted mission was something which was taken by all our allies, by our American friends and allies. And now we're opening a new chapter, he said. He said some of the risks involve the possible reversal of reforms, the loss of territory to the Taliban, as well as the impact of NATO's departure on the morale of Afghan forces. But, he stressed, it's not up to us in perpetuity to decide on behalf of the Afghan people. Unquote. Only for 20 years. That withdrawal, as you know, has been controversial. Including comment by the former U.S. President George W. Bush, who told Deutsche Welle, the German broadcaster, in an exclusive interview that, quote, the consequences are going to be unbelievably bad. And he wasn't referring to the consequences of withdrawing troops and resources from Afghanistan to start a war based on a lie in Iraq. No, that was, that had good consequences. You know, compared to his comments, his paintings are great. And now... Of course it's news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole III. No time for the horns. We've got news. Thousands of volunteers in Japan were looking forward to this summer's Olympics and Paralympics as an opportunity to welcome fans from across the country and the world. But the decisions to ban spectators from most events has left them suddenly with nothing to do and the sense that the years of preparations have been all for nothing. This is according to NHK World. Sugimatsu Yuka has been preparing for three years to work as a volunteer at the Games. She even studied Chinese. So it was a disappointment when Olympic organizers announced back in March there would be no spectators, foreign or domestic, as of late. She uh, describes that news as heartbreaking. She's one of around 40,000 so-called CityCast volunteers who were hoping to get people into the venues. But many have been told their services won't be needed. The uh, Fujisawa, city of Fujisawa in the southwest of the capital, the uh, official in charge of the city's preparation says the development is regrettable and he feels sorry for all the volunteers who have spent years, years, 
rehearsing their roles. The Tokyo Olympics, well, it'll be a lot of things, but it will provide a model for hosting the games during a pandemic. <laughs> like that's going to happen again. I'm probably so. That's from Tokyo 2020 CEO Toshiro Muto. This will be the first Olympics held during a pandemic, and Tokyo will provide a model for how that is done. Muto said, "Get the playbook now. The 2020 Olympics are going to look a lot different than normal. Notably, there won't be any fans in attendance, of course, but viewers will notice a very significant change to another long-standing tradition, according to Sporting News." Athletes will no longer receive their medals by having them placed around their necks. Instead, no, don't get ahead of me here. Instead, they will be presented on a tray to help reduce the potential spread of COVID. IOC President Thomas Bach confirmed that the medals will not be given around the neck. He said, according to ESPN, they will be presented on a tray. The athlete will take the medal him or herself. It will be made sure the person who will put the medal on tray will do so only with disinfected gloves, so that the athlete can be sure that nobody touched them before. Bach also confirmed there won't be contact among athletes during the medal ceremony. There will be, he said, no shake hands and there will be no hugs there during the ceremony. The athletes will place the medals around their own necks. But wait, there's more. Without any doubt or qualification, the postponement of the 2020 Olympics undermined any type of meaningful or impactful 5G rollout, not only for Japan but for the rest of the planet. That says Jerry Ray, chief operating officer at a cybersecurity company called Secure Age. He's worked the last year from Singapore, where one of the Virginia Business's global office is located. Taking place this week, the Olympiad, as you know, was meant to have been held a year ago. It's been overlooked how important the Tokyo Olympics would have been to inaugurate the global introduction of 5G technology. That's according to Medical Device Network. The promise and hype of 5G technology between 2017 and 2019 could have only been matched by a globally scaled kickoff, as the 2020 Olympics offered. Ray says, "Almost everyone who paid attention to the event would have lived through a 5G experience without having to have a 5G-enabled device of their own." He says, "Rather than tout the capabilities through words or storytelling, the Olympics would have showcased so much of the visual promise of high-speed data simultaneously to billions of eyes that would have been watching." He says, "Unless they were inside, where the signals don't travel." His mention of Tokyo 2020's enhanced visuals with 8K video quality and augmented virtual reality promised for the games is just one part of the story.、Uh, autonomous vehicles are another part, with Toyota's e-Palette vehicles to ferry athletes and staff to the village, from the village to other venues, running on a 5G network. And the power and speed of 5G would also fuel facial recognition at the games. To speed up ID checks in what's claimed to be an Olympics security first, the software is NeoFace technology from Intel, which is also providing the game's 5G platform alongside Japan's Docomo. 
tragic for the explosion of 5G awareness that the 2020 Olympics would have offered is that the technology and infrastructure could not have similarly been delayed for a kickoff to coincide with the Games. Investment outlays, manpower, delivery promises, and everything else already in motion by the time the decision to postpone came about in April of this year meant that 5G would materialize without anyone noticing or appreciating it. With no great Olympic showcase, Ray notes that as a result, 5G subscriber numbers in Japan have limped along since last spring and remain a small percentage of those expected by the tech companies. And that's even with Apple having 5G-compatible iPhones, which are, so far, compatible with nothing. And Felix Salmon, an economist, writes... The Olympics haven't made financial sense in decades. Host cities spend billions preparing for the Games, inevitably suffering massive cost overruns and going deep into debt with a lasting legacy, Tom? A lasting legacy. Of little more than a group of buildings ill-suited to any other use. This year, the Games' physical location is more of a liability and less of an asset than ever. The competition risks spreading COVID while bringing no glory or tourists to a city that has banned spectators. And of course, most events won't be seen live because of Japan's crappy time zone. Stand by for the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day! Ladies and gentlemen, we've uh, devoted some attention on this program the last few weeks to the residential schools in Canada and the discovery of uh, hundreds of unmarked graves at the locations of a few of those schools. These were for indigenous children to try to assimilate them. No better way to assimilate than in an unmarked grave. Well, we shouldn't be... uh, Snooting at Canada, Dateline, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. The disinterred remains of nine Native American children who died more than a century ago attending a government-run school in Pennsylvania are headed home to Rosebud Sioux tribal lands in South Dakota. The handoff at a graveyard was part of the fourth set of transfers, such transfers, to take place since 2017. The remains of an Alaskan Aleut child were returned to her tribe earlier this summer. We want our children home no matter how long it takes, says U.S. Interior Secretary Deb Haaland, the first Native American to be a cabinet officer in the United States. In June, she announced a nationwide investigation into the boarding schools that attempted to assimilate indigenous children into white society here in the good old USA. She said at the event... Forced assimilation practices stripped away the children's clothing, their language, and their culture. They did have to wear other clothing. Don't don't get too upset about that. In Pennsylvania, the nine sets of remains inside small coffins were carried past a phalanx of tribal members and well-wishers before being sent to Sioux City, Iowa. The children died between 1880 and 1910. The Carlisle School, founded by an army officer took drastic steps to separate Native American students from their culture, cutting their braids, dressing them in 
military-style uniforms and punishing them for speaking their native languages. They were forced to adopt European names. Hi, I'm Chuck. More than 10,000 Native American children were taught there and endured harsh conditions that sometimes led to death from such diseases as tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you've been somewhere that had tuberculosis lately, won't you? And now... News of Dominion. The effects of noise, like that, can reach organisms without ears. So go ahead and cut them off if you want. Because of the way living things rely on each other, noise pollution may actually stop some forests from growing. That's uh, from a new study. And this is from Inside Science, just where you want to be. In a New England woodland dominated by pinyon pine and juniper trees, researchers found far fewer tree seedlings in noisy sites than they did in quiet ones. Study raises questions. <laughs> no, not about the scientists. About the future of the area. Quote, if the noise stays there long term, are we going to see the slow motion transition from a pinion pine forest to more of a scrubland and lose this important ecosystem of the pinion pine which supports so much wildlife? That's a question from a behavioral ecologist at Texas A&M University at San Antonio. In the areas that had been noisy for at least 15 years, the researchers found only about 13 pinion seedlings and 4 juniper seedlings per hectare, compared with 55 pinion seedlings and 29 juniper seedlings in the quiet areas. The noise also seemed to affect the rest of the plant community, different wildflower and shrub species dominating in loud versus quiet sites. The differences in plant growth were probably caused by changes in animal behavior, said the researcher. For example, noise might drive away pollinators such as bees, bats, and moths. Your bees, your bats, your moths. In the case of pinion and juniper trees, the problem was likely a lack of animals to disperse seeds. Pinions depend on scrub jays to carry their seeds away from the parent tree, and scrub jays are known to avoid noise. It's possible foxes and other animals that disperse juniper seeds are also noise-averse. We don't know that yet. Findings suggest noise pollution is more than a mere nuisance. According to the researchers, it could be a serious threat with the power to transform ecosystems. The study was published in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society B. B for, I guess, buzz. More manatees died in the first half of 2021 than in any other year in Florida's recorded history. This is according to Sunshine State wildlife officials who say the unprecedented number of deaths stem from seagrass loss, pollution, and boat strikes. All of them the work of you and me, baby. At least 841 manatees died between January 1st and July 2nd, according to a report by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, the FWC. That breaks the previous record set way back in 2013 when there was an outbreak of toxic red tide. The numbers represent a sharp increase from last year when a total of 637 manatees died in Florida. Florida, where manatees grow to die. In March, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration declared the spike in manatee deaths 
an unusual mortality event. And in conjunction with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission, Conservation Commission, announced a federal investigation into the cause of the deaths. Unprecedented manatee mortality due to starvation was documented on the Atlantic coast this past winter and spring, said the Florida Fish and Wildlife Research Institute. Most deaths occurred during the colder months when manatees migrated to and through the Indian River Lagoon, where the majority of the seagrass has died off. More than half the manatees who died this year were found in the lagoon. According to a regulatory agency that oversees that lagoon, the estuary has seen significant losses of seagrass coverage caused by toxic algal blooms fed by human-produced nutrient pollution over the last decade. Seagrass is a major food source for manatees. Last month, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said he would not declare a state of emergency to help restore the lagoon. A coalition of 16 environmental groups and businesses had called for the Republican governor to step in to help rehabilitate the area, but he eats manatees for breakfast. No, sorry about that. that was, did I say that aloud? The senior Florida representative at Defenders of Wildlife said the catastrophic die-off foreshadows the manatees' future unless we take immediate and effective action. They're starving to death. The report points out that the long-term health effects of prolonged starvation in manatees that survived is not yet known. We've sunk to a new low, setting a new record for annual manatee deaths, and it's only July, said the Florida director of the Center for Biological Diversity. Boat strikes have also killed at least 63 manatees this year, up from the five-year average of 60 such deaths. So, I didn't even know boats were unionized. Once classified as an endangered species, the Florida manatee was reclassified by the federal government as threatened five years ago. Four years ago, environmentalists have asked that the manatee be considered endangered again. Conflicting estimates put the manatee population in Florida between 6,300 and 7,500. And a spokesman for the spokesperson for the Marine Mammal Commission of the United States confirmed the agency is monitoring the manatee mortality situation. They better start being nice to us, those manatees. Under the Mediterranean Sea lie meadows of Posidonia Oceanica, a native seagrass species. Speaking of seagrass, it might not look like it's doing much, swaying back and forth with the current, but seagrass absorbs carbon dioxide, emits oxygen, protects coasts from erosion, and provides habitat for fish. So let's kill it, shall we? A new threat to seagrass beds has been detected underwater noise pollution caused by humans. A team of European scientists reported in the journal Communications Biology last month that when that particular species of seagrass is exposed to noise, organs in the plant that store energy and detect gravity are destroyed. So they go upside down? No, I don't know. Adding to concern for this already threatened species. Anthropogenic underwater noise is a big concern, said a marine biologist at Duke who was not involved in the study. Humans have been adding noise to the soundscape from activities such as shipping, oil and gas extraction, and renewable energy development. Since recognizing anthropogenic underwater noise as a pollutant a few decades ago, scientists have been studying the impact of noise on aquatic animals. The initial focus was on creatures with hearing organs, thinking the sound vibration could affect other marine animals. 
a biology, biotechnology engineer at the Technology University of Catalonia in Spain, and his co-worker studied noises impact on octopuses and squids, which lack ears, or fishes gas-filled chambers. There's a place to spend the weekend. No, that's their hearing facility. Scientists discovered noise damaged the organs animals use to orient themselves. And this was truly something that changed our perspective of how noise pollution could affect the marine environment, the leader of the study said. And this change in perspective eventually led him to expand his research to plants, because they don't got no ears either. His team discovered that two hours of noise exposure damaged a plant organ responsible for detecting gravity, meaning noise could affect the plant's capacity to stay rooted. I'll just uh, pull up these <laughs> roots over here. The number of starch grains inside the organ decreased, which could affect the seagrass's ability to store energy. They continued to disappear even after the noise stopped. He wants, says the chief researcher, to provide data so humans can figure out how best to live with nature. <laughs> we got it covered, babe. We got dominion. In a paper published this week in the journal Ecosphere, researchers found that crawfish, exposed to moderate levels of the antidepressant citalopram, commonly known as Silexa, spent typically and significantly more time foraging for food and less time hiding, did the crawfish. That behavior could make the crawfish more vulnerable to predators, and their altered behavior could, over time, have other effects on stream ecosystems. That's according to the National Geographic, which calls them crayfish. News of Dominion, ladies and gentlemen. We got it. We're keeping it. It's a lazy afternoon And the beetle bugs are zooming And the tulip trees are blooming And there's not another human in view But If you 
except for daisies running riot And there's no one passing by it to see Come spend this lazy This is Le Show from the Home of the Homeless. By the way, um, one reads in the uh, local community newspaper out here by the Pacific that uh, that usage, the homeless, is being replaced as the language police continue their work. They're now called the unhoused, or one I like even better, people experiencing homelessness. How's your experience? That word, by the way, is um, everywhere now. We want to um, we want to improve your banking experience. But now. <laughs> Documentary filmmaker Morgan Neville paints a raw and personal image of Anthony Bourdain, the late chef and TV host, in his new documentary, which opened this week, according to Variety. In the documentary, editors wove in narration by Bourdain, pulled from, pulled from audio clips, show outtakes, video interviews, and audio books. However, when asked how he obtained some quotes from Bourdain by The New Yorker, Neville told the writer that he used artificial intelligence to create three quotes with Bourdain's voice. I created an AI model of his voice, Neville said. If you watch the film other than that line you mentioned, you probably don't know what the other lines are that were spoken by the AI, and you're not going to know, unquote, the filmmaker. Speaking to GQ magazine, he explained the process. He said, we fed more than 10 hours of Tony's voice into an AI model. The bigger the quantity, the better the result. We worked for four companies before settling on the best. We also had to figure out the best tone of Tony's voice. His speaking voice versus his narrator voice, which itself changed dramatically over the years. The narrator voice got very performative and sing-songy in the no-reservation years. I checked, you know, with his widow and his literary executor. Executor. <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure people were cool with that and they were like Tony would have been cool with that I wasn't putting words into his mouth I was just trying to make them come alive unquote the filmmaker after that article's publication film critics and documentary filmmakers took to Twitter to express their discomfort with this technique Washington Post reporter Dave Weigel tweeted the interview excerpt and simply commented thanks I hate it Critic Sean Burns wrote, When I wrote my review, I was not aware the filmmakers had used an EI to deepfake Bourdain's voice. 
I feel like this tells you all you need to know about the ethics of the people behind this project. Unquote. Documentary filmmaker Lindsay Beierstein questioned whether the use of AI was disclosed to viewers. There's no real problem using AI in the place of a sound-like actor in a nonfiction film, as long as the creators are upfront about what they're doing. Another user replied to her, saying, Regardless, I'm pretty sure that would make Anthony Bourdain puke. Other Twitter commenters called his use of AI fraudulent and manipulative. Neville added in the New Yorker article, quote, We can have a documentary ethics panel about it later. Unquote. Be interested in your thoughts on it, ladies and gentlemen, our new feature, State Your Mind. Uh, give us a call. And uh, we'll put you on the air and discuss it, because I think it's an interesting topic in this smart, smart, smart. We have our first call already. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, this is Ralph. Long time talking computer. First time caller. <laughs> Ralph, you're in the building. You could have just asked somebody to carry you into the studio. I would. Harry, I'm not an invalid. <laughs> I'm just not. A walking computer is all. Mm. I wanted to comment on the whole Anthony Bourdain thing. And I figured I could get in faster than other listeners, so... Well, I know, but people will feel like this was a rigged setup kind of a thing. They think worse things about your show, believe me. Well, I, I know I shouldn't ask this, but um, <laughs> what worse things? Well, for example, yeah. a lot of people think the show is pre-recorded. Well, I mean, this one today is, so... So, on the board day thing, if I may... Sure. We don't have a dump button here anyway. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, as a computer with a long career of talking like a person, I think this is a cheap and cheesy stunt. Um, you know, I don't know much about artificial intelligence. Or any other kind. <laughs> but I do know that uh, it's not cheap. I didn't mean in the financial sense of the word. Yeah. I just meant cheap in the sense of cheesy. Oh, okay. So you just meant cheesy and cheesy. I suppose you could say that. Okay. Well, the, why do you think you say that? Because your chip made you say it? Did you ask that question? Because the so-called broker's area of your brain made you ask it. <laughs> I said it because I spent a lot of time learning to make these sounds like an actual individual human talking. Mm -hmm. Now to be replaced, in a sense, by a machine that's been trained to be just an impersonator. Well, to me, it just degrades the whole profession of being a machine capable of human speech. You're aware, Ralph, aren't you, that uh, much of my career has consisted of what I... I guess you would call impersonation? Sure, I guess. Mm -hmm. But computers don't have to eat or pay rent or buy gas. So, I guess I just give humans a little more slack. Well... Present company accepted, of course. I was... Um... <laughs> Look, we have other callers on the line, but do you denigrate all forms of AI? I mean, uh, driverless cars, automated pizza ovens, or... Or, or searchless appendectomies. You know, actually, that sounds pretty good. Look, if you want to get your innards sliced up by a machine that got its medical degree at Microsoft, <laughs> that's your own beeswax. Okay, but... But the machine portrayal of the human voice is kind of my wheelhouse. I understand. I take it seriously. Right, yeah. Let's put it this way. I think I could have recited those Anthony Bourdain quotes a lot more soulfully than some anonymous bag of chips. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think I'm a more promotable name than some anonymous AI machine. 
So um, you resent the fact that you lost a job to something that wasn't built in 2011? Harry, I don't want to say human emotions like resentment are beneath me, mm-hmm. but I don't stay up all night worrying about stuff like that. And you know why? Why? Because the staff here puts me to sleep. Okay. But uh, do you think it's deceptive to have used an AI version of Anthony Bourdain? In other words, Ralph, do you think there's an ethical question here as to what a documentary should and shouldn't do without endangering its credibility? Jeez, man, lighten up. <laughs> well, you don't think they took some of his real quotes out of context to build some trailers and promos for his program while he was alive? I... This is a TV show about a TV show. How about that for Unreal? Okay, well, great... Great call, Ralph. You used up all the time for this segment, so our apologies to the people waiting on the line. Harry, I can see the board. There's nobody. And the show continues. We've got the ultra-modern knack of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty what the frack. A nonprofit doctor's organization found that the federal government approved the use of persistent PFAS chemicals for use in fracking a decade ago, despite safety concerns. That was during the Obama administration, ladies and gentlemen, just for reference. New report from Physicians for Social Responsibility includes evidence that the U.S. EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, in 2011 approved the use of three chemicals known as fluorinated acrylic alkylamino copolymers, even though EPA scientists had expressed concerns that the chemicals would degrade into PFOA, one of thousands of chemicals part of the PFAS family. And what a heck of a family. Chemicals used to ease the flow of oil from the ground are currently being used in six states. State data indicates the chemicals are not currently being used in fracking operations in Indiana. PFOA and other PFAS chemicals have been linked to a series of adverse health conditions. Your increased risk of kidney and testicular cancer, your increased cholesterol levels, your increased risk of high blood pressure or preeclampsia in pregnant women, decreased birth weight, and decreased vaccine response in children. Currently, the EPA doesn't regulate the amount of PFAS chemicals that enter drinking water. The agency has issued non-enforceable lifetime health advisories for two PFAS chemicals in drinking water, PFOS and PFOA. So you watch out for those, because it's up to you. You will be the enforcer. And approvals for companies to drill for oil and gas on U.S. public lands are on pace this year to reach their highest level since George W addicted to oil, Bush, was president. That, according to the Associated Press, underscores the current president's reluctance to more forcefully curb petroleum production in the face of industry and Republican resistance. Oh, come on, man. The Interior Department approved... Sorry, the Associated Press. The Interior Department approved about 2,500 permits to drill on public and tribal lands in the first six months of this year. That's according to government data that includes more than 2,100 drilling approvals since Biden took office January 20th. New Mexico and Wyoming had the largest number of approvals. Montana, Colorado, and Utah had hundreds each. 
president campaigned last year, before he was president, of course, on pledges to end new drilling on federal lands in order to rein in climate-changing emissions. Uh, Interior Secretary Deb Haaland, about whom we spoke moments ago, adamantly opposed drilling on federal lands while in Congress. But the steps taken by the administration to date on fossil fuels are more modest. Temporary suspension on new oil and gas leases on federal lands that a judge blocked that last month. The administration also blocked petroleum sales in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, and it canceled the Keystone XL oil pipeline from Canada. Because vast fossil fuel reserves are already under lease, those actions did nothing to slow drilling on public lands and waters that account for about a quarter of U.S. oil production. Further complicating the president's climate agenda, a recent rise in gasoline prices in many parts of the country, any attempt to limit petroleum production could push gas prices even higher. And that gets, that gets your voters mad. He's walking the tightrope, said energy industry analyst Parker Fawcett, noting that Keystone and Anwar came without huge political costs because they were aimed at future projects. Those easy wins don't necessarily have huge impacts on the market today. He's definitely backing off taking drastic action that would rock the market. Isn't that a Clash song? Halland has sought to tamp down Republican concern over potential constraints on the industry. She said during a uh, congressional hearing last month, there is no plan right now for a permanent ban. Gas and oil production will continue well into the future. We believe that is the reality of our economy and the world we're living in. Unquote the Interior Secretary. Interior officials won't comment on permits issued under Biden. Companies did rush to lock in drilling rights before the Trump administration ended. In December, Trump's last full month in office, Interior Department officials approved more than 800 permits, far more than any prior month during his presidency. Approvals have rebounded after a, a slight drop when Biden first took office to a level that exceeds monthly numbers seen through most of the Trump presidency. What the frack? And now here's ABC News' David Muir with a focus on when the big news happened. Tonight, the first round of expanded child tax credit payments hit Americans' bank accounts today. Okay, we've narrowed it down to either today or tonight. By the way... Not since Tom Brokaw anchored the NBC Nightly News some time ago did all the news stories on the broadcast begin with the word tonight. They now do on ABC. Just to make sure you know that this news happened earlier. And now, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Tonight, the missionary oblates of Mary Immaculate had significant responsibility for operating residential schools for Canada's First Nations and other indigenous people. With the rediscovery of graves at these school grounds and renewed focus on the role of the schools in advancing government policies of forced assimilation, the oblates are again apologizing for their historical involvement, according to the National Catholic Register. 
and are pl have pledged to do more to help identify the remains of any children who died there. Quote, we were wrong. We should have investigated what was said. Our deafness contributed to the suffering that many have experienced and to the anger that many are expressing, said a Q&A on the website of the Lacombe Canada Oblates, responding to the question of why claims about graves were not taken seriously. Here's a switcheroo. Deaf priests. Deadline Victoria in Canada as well. The Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Victoria apologized this week, one day after revelations came to light that more than 160 unmarked graves had been discovered near a former indigenous residential school once run by the church. The Penelicut tribe confirmed the discovery of the graves on Penelicut Island in a notice circulated at the beginning of the week. The island was home to the Cooper Island School from 1890 to 1975. The Catholic Diocese in Victoria operated the school along with the Sisters of St. Anne from 1891 to 1907, according to Bishop Gary Gordon. The Roman Catholic Diocese of Victoria grieves for the victims of the school and apologizes for its role in the operation of residential schools, Gordon said in a statement this week. He continued, our hearts go out in sadness for the little ones who were torn from their families and never returned home. Other Catholic organizations, including the missionaries of the Company of Mary, and the Oblates of Mary, Immaculate, operated the Cooper Island School until 1969, when its operation was taken over by the federal government of Canada. On behalf of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Victoria, I apologize for the harm caused due to our complicity involved in the operations of the residential schools, Gordon continued. I am committed to the process of healing, reconciliation, and education regarding this tragic history. He concluded. The diocese also operated the Christie Roman Catholic School on Mears Island. The diocese's archival records relating to both schools were forwarded to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which Canada had about four years ago. London Library in London, England, the one you've heard of, has apologized for holding an event to encourage children to read, during which an actor dressed in a bare-bottomed monkey costume with a fake penis appeared. Footage shared on social media showed members of the Mandiga Arts Group at Redbridge Library's Summer Reading Challenge event at Goodmay's Library in East London. Three performers were filmed outside the event, one dressed in an inappropriate rainbow monkey costume. According to the Evening Standard, this raised concern from residents. You think? A conservative campaigner said, apparently this is meant to encourage kids in Redbridge to pick up reading for the summer. Please tell me the rationale behind these indecent costumes that were shown to families and done so publicly. Is this really necessary? Images also showed the actor inside the library causing an uproar among parents. One parent said, someone needs to lose their job over this. Redbridge libraries have since apologized, ensuring this will never happen again. Unfortunately, one of the animal costumes during an event put on the library today was inappropriate, which we were not aware of at the time of booking, they tweeted. We deeply apologize for the offense caused. This is being looked into. Redbridge City Council said they did not arrange the event. It was organized by Vision Redbridge Culture and Leisure, a registered charity and a nonprofit who they uh, apologize to residents, too. Council said, We are utterly appalled by the unacceptable event on Saturday organized by our independent leisure contractor. 
The contractor had commissioned characters to support the start of the reading challenge, but the costume in question was wholly inappropriate for the intended audience. A full and thorough investigation into how this incident happened has been launched, and stringent action will be taken. We sincerely apologize for the offense and distress this has caused. Council leader added, All future performances have been canceled. And the arts group also apologized for the offense caused. We never intended to offend residents. We respect every, everyone's individual opinion with no offense to any part, they said. Tongue firmly near cheek, if not actually in it. A black teenager in the United States was barred from entering a roller rink after a facial recognition system wrongly identified her as a person who'd been previously banned for fighting there. Lamia Robinson, 14, had been dropped off by her parents in an indoor roller skating space in Livonia, Michigan, at the weekend to spend time with her pals. Facial recognition cameras installed inside the premises matched her face to a photo of somebody else, apparently barred following a skirmish with other skaters. Robinson was told to leave the premises by staff. She said the person in the image couldn't possibly be her because she had never been there before. Her parents are now mulling whether it's worth suing the arena or not. To me, it's basically racial profiling, Lamia's mother told the local TV station. You're just saying every young black-brown girl with glasses fits the profile, and that's not right. One of the arena managers later called the mother to discuss the issue, and in a statement, the business said the software had her daughter at a 97% match. This is what we looked at. If there was a mistake, we apologize for that. An if-pology, ladies and gentlemen. Deadline Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. That sounds nice. Superintendent Matthew Strine has apologized for plagiarizing portions of a 2011 speech in his message to Boiling Springs High School grads last month. He posted a statement on the school district website in which he said he was sorry for using words drawn from four paragraphs of a commitment speech that Amy Poehler gave to 2011 graduates at Harvard. At least he did his research. I'm embarrassed for my lapse in judgment, Strine said, adding, in some cases he made minor adjustments to what Poehler said. Well, that's creative. In the moment, I wanted to give an uplifting message that would give hope to the graduates and help to bring us back together after so many months of physical separation. I wanted to help it. Yeah, right. There are a number of instances where Strine quoted Polar's words virtually verbatim, without any attribution. A couple of excerpts. Polar, as you navigate through the rest of your life, be open to collaboration. Strine, as you navigate through the rest of your life, be open to others. Be open to collaboration. Polar, no one is here today because they did it on their own. Strine, no one is here today because they did it all on their own. Good additions. Britney Spears' former manager Sam Lutfi has apologized to the pop, store, pop star for, quote, failing her as she prepares to head back into court for another conservatorship hearing. Lutfi took to Twitter telling the pop star of his regrettable actions. Quote, just sitting here listening to that court recording. If she hates me after she's free, I won't blame her. I failed her. I was supposed to protect her from all this. I let her down and we both, both paid dearly for it. Head in hands. I'm so sorry. 
British baby business Tommy Tippy UK has issued a public apology after an article on its parent room help section provoked backlash for insinuating formula is better than breast milk. Criticized for hitting the wrong tone and failing to fact check, the article states, Baby formula will give your little one all the nutrients they need to grow and thrive without you having to go through any pain or awkwardness that breastfeeding can sometimes bring. The article comes as a surprise considering the progressive work Tommy Tippy has created that encourages more mothers to breastfeed. We truly do not stand by some of the information in here and apologize for the error that meant it was published before tone and fact-checking, said Tommy Tippy. We support all parents, however they feed their baby, but we wholeheartedly agree and follow the WHO guidelines that breast milk is best for baby. The Prime Minister of the Netherlands, Mark Rutte, conceded this week that coronavirus restrictions had been lifted too soon in the Netherlands, and he apologized as infections surged to their highest levels of the year. Last Friday, he reimposed curbs on bars, restaurants, and nightclubs in an effort to stop a spate of infections among young adults just two weeks after most lockdown measures were lifted as cases were falling. The government also canceled all multi-day festivals and events with large crowds until mid-August. And watch them then. And a presenter on a new British center-right news channel, GB News, Guto Hari, has been taken off the air after the channel said he breached its standards by taking the knee on air in support of England's footballers. Some of our guests have been in favor of taking the knee, some against. But a contributing presenter took the knee live on air, and this was an unacceptable breach of our standards. We let down both sides by oversimplifying a very complex issue. The head of GB News, Andrew Neal, said the channel was still finding its feet. Recently f- signed on for the first time. It's finding its feet, but it's losing its knees. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time on your radio station that you're listening to right now, if you are. If you're listening to an audio device of your own choice, back whenever you want it. That's how we roll. And it would be just like rolling like that if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much, uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to Pam Halstead, to the San Diego desk, and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO for help with today's program. The email address for this show, you can write to me. I'll read it. I'll read it. You can also get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the playlist of the music heard here on all at harryshearer.com. Lots more stuff there. A rainy afternoon well spent. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the unhoused. Mm-hmm.